Let's pray together. Lord, we, we remember these, these, these days uh, once a year. And Lord, this week I was wondering whether that was too frequent or not frequent enough to remember Christ coming in the flesh to save us from our sins. Lord, I pray that you would meet with us this morning um, in a comfortable way, in a new way. Lord, that you would meet with us in a way that we cannot deny that it was you. And Lord, that you would, you would meet with us in a way that you would give us hope and you would give us confidence and that our trust and our faith in you might swell, Lord, and become even greater. Lord, we thank you for your presence here with us. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we gather with family activities or with other people or even by ourselves, Lord, this week, that we would remember like Mary did and ponder these things in our heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence here with us. So we pray this in your name. Amen. Could you give me some water? Um, okay, so here's the deal. I, I often wonder when I'm preparing a message if I am a, 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 a realist, an emotionalist, or an academic. I've wondered that all the time. <laughs> you know, you, you, you got to be... Sometimes it's good to know these things because you can you can hang on to precise definitions and terms and you can craft an entire message around these things and you you might get close to the point but you might miss the very heart of what God is saying. And sometimes you might focus on the emotion and the the, the gold, glittery gold and the berries and the tinsel and the, the wreath and you say, well, yeah, that, it's all about that. And you miss the truth of the matter, right? But Jesus says we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. And so it's good to be some of all these things. Um, so honestly, I prepared lots. And most of my time is whittling down to what I want to say. But let's start with this point. Um, you ever heard of Octavian? Octavian. <clears throat> he was the son of Julius Caesar. And um, once Julius became known as one of the gods of Rome, Octavian was known as the son of God. Whoa. This is getting frightening. <clears throat> this was the Octavian who um, who ascended not to become any Caesar, but to become Augustus Caesar, from which we get the month August. The fullness, the radiance of the glory of the Roman gods. He was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. Before then, it was sort of disjointed with different sort of. They had a, they had this um, they had the republic and they had people elected to different things. But he sort of gathered all these various pieces together uh, through a lot of intrigue and murder and other things that were common in those days to gather the entire Roman Empire under his rule. 
He launched many reforms as he did this in the entire Roman Empire. And he consolidated his power and his authority in Rome. And it was about it was about the about this time after he'd been in power for a few years that he uh, Judea was such a firepot under other organizations that it came under the direct rule of Rome with an appointed governor. Um, these reforms that he instituted were not cheap. So he did what every government does. He taxed the people. And the tax was a pult, it was a head tax. If you existed in the kingdom, then you paid a tax simply for your presence in this empire. Um, he was the first Caesar to order a census. The first Caesar to appoint a tax assessment on the whole <coughs> empire. So to get an accurate count of the population, so he would know how much taxes he would get, everyone had to be registered in this domain, this newly imposed rule. Everyone had to be registered. This is all government thinking, leaders doing what they do to tax and regulate and register their population. To assure against errors and people slipping through the cracks and avoiding paying the tax, they required everyone to return to their ancestral hometown. He was thinking this thing through. Nobody was going to avoid paying the tax. So to accomplish this in Judea, his governor, Quirinius, called for a census in the region. This required a man named Joseph to travel from Nazareth about 75 miles to Bethlehem to be registered. And of course, he had to bring his pregnant, you could call her a betrothed spouse, fiance, maybe a wife. It was such a scandal that she was pregnant and yet not fully consummated marriage, but she was still a virgin. You can see the history kind of all lining up here. They had, to, they had to travel to Bethlehem. It was a small place, but it was crowded at the time because think about it. If all the descendants of King David were there, I mean, <laughs> how many people could that be? They all descended upon Bethlehem. The prophet Micah Somewhere about 700 years before this, 700 BC, had prophesied about Bethlehem, foreseeing that a special ruler was to come from there. A ruler whose coming, whose going forth and advent was from ancient times. Sort of mysterious. Here is the prophecy. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now we know this ruler now is Jesus, the Messiah. But Quirinius didn't know that. 
And Augustus Caesar certainly did not know that. But there could be no mistake as to where the Messiah would be born. The chief priests and the scribes certainly knew. And when King Herod asked them, they told him. And King Herod told the wise men where he was to be born. But the shepherds knew because the angels themselves had told him in Luke 2. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The city of David referred to Bethlehem, of course. Now, just for the record, and this is going to be this is going to be academic and emotional at the same time. So stick with me here. For the record, Bethlehem. At the time Micah gave this prophecy, Bethlehem had existed as a as a founded town for seven hundred years. So seven hundred years before Micah prophesied, Bethlehem was founded. Bethlehem had been known as a place even before it was founded. So you kind of think through the history of things. I mean, there might be a place that you know of that has no official town name until later. Bethlehem was founded about 1400 years B.C. A long time ago. Now, it hadn't grown much in those 700 years. So when Micah prophesied you know, that you're little, you're too little to be named among the subclans of Ju- Judah. It was just so small. Now, when Micah made this prophecy 700 years B.C., there was no Roman census. There was no Caesar. There was no Roman Empire. There was no Rome. According to the legends, Rome was founded by two brothers, both demigods, Romulus and Remus. And in 753 BC, the legend claims that in an argument over, it's either either one of two points, either who would rule the city or where the city would be located, Romulus killed his brother Remus and named the city after himself. That's the founding of Rome. Over here, while over here, Micah is prophesying about this little town called Bethlehem. This is real history, y'all. Now, there was a contemporary prophet of Micah who lived at the same time. His name was Isaiah. He also lived 700 years before Christ. He likely received his calling near the time when he saw a vision of the holy, glorious God with this robe filling the temple. This was the vision that he saw in the year of King Uzziah's death, estimated to be the year 739, 10 years after the founding of Rome. It was during this time that Uzziah also spoke the word of the Lord, saying in Isaiah 7:14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is a sign. Something that points to something else. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The world was alive. The world was alive in 750 B.C. Things are happening. This is some 2700 years ago. 
And then in Isaiah 9, 2, he says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and in the battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. This is pretty dramatic prophecy. But then it goes on, verse 6. For, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah goes on in two chapters later in 11. And he says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide. Oops, went too far. Or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips she shall kill the wicked. Again, these prophecies, 750 years before Christ was born from Isaiah and from Micah, about the same time Rome is being established. And then Rome eventually grows into this empire with this Augustus Caesar as the ruler. And he calls for this census because he wants to tax people and he calls for the governor. And they, you can, this is all playing out through history. These prophecies foretelling one who would deliver and rule Israel with great power and wisdom were given 700 years before Caesar Augustus. In today's terms, it would be like someone prophesying that a certain king who had been alive in ages past but we'll put ourselves at the time of Micah. It would be like somebody saying there's a certain king that was alive in ancient days who would be born in the year 2718. 700 years from today. And he would be born in a town that was founded in 1318, 700 years ago. Which one of you will prophesy about something that's going to take place in 2718, but then link it back to something that was happened in 1318? That's what Micah did. He gave, us, he gave a view of something that was going to happen 700 years in the future and linked it to something that happened 700 years prior. What did Micah know to do such a thing as this? 
And what did Isaiah know that he would say, and this shall be the sign for you, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's one thing to prophesy that something great would happen in New York or Shanghai or London, where each of which have over 20 million people. It's quite another matter to proclaim that this would happen in a town at that time no larger than 1,000 people, and many people say maybe 300 people. Maybe 300 people lived in Bethlehem when Micah gave this prophecy. It was too small to even be named. Bethlehem is about six miles from Jerusalem, about 2,600 feet elevation. Um, and it was situated along an ancient caravan route. Since its beginning, it's been a melting pot of peoples and cultures, people traveling through. But it never really grew. I guess it was too close to Jerusalem. Nobody would stop to say in Bethlehem, they'd just go under Jerusalem. The word Bethlehem appears 53 times in the scriptures. And it's interesting because Bethlehem actually describes two different places. There's one in the north. Only seven miles from Nazareth in Galilee, where Mary and Joseph grew up. But there's also one in the south, in Judea, five miles from Jerusalem, where Jesus was born. So when Joseph took Mary to Bethlehem, they had to pass the Bethlehem that was only seven miles away and go to 175 miles away. Now, the northern Bethlehem is mentioned only once in Scripture, Joshua 19, 15. And although Bethlehem, Judea wasn't a large town, it was near many events that happened in the scriptures. Fifteen miles south of Bethlehem, Judea, was Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all lived. Ten miles northwest was Gibeon, where Joshua called for the sun to stand still. Twelve miles west was Succoth, where David killed Goliath. And five miles north was Jerusalem where Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. All of these places would, if it was if this was Wake County, they ought to have been in Wake County, geographically. All these places were, if, if Bethlehem was in the middle of Wake County, then all of these events would have happened in Wake County. It was a little town, yet so vitally important. It was the birthplace of our Lord. Yet many other things happened in Bethlehem that serve as a preview of what was to come. They sort of set the stage for the main event that was coming. Through 1,400 years of Bethlehem's existence before Christ was born, God was working through details and giving signs about the city, the town. You know who founded Bethlehem? Caleb, son Salma, after the Israelites arrived in Canaan from into the promised land, Caleb's son founded Bethlehem. And the Bethlehem Ephratha, Ephratha was the name of Caleb's wife. <laughs> Ephratha is sort of like the region, maybe like the county around Bethlehem, because you'll hear the you'll see the terms interchange somewhat. Ephrathah was the name of Caleb's wife. 
So the first point is that Rachel was buried there. Genesis 35, 16. They journeyed from Bethel when they were still some distance from Ephrath, which is a shortened version. Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear for you have another son. And as her soul was departing for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. This is the first reference to Bethlehem. Rachel is the wife of Jacob, also named Israel. Rachel was Israel's first choice as a bride. Israel had to wait seven years for Rachel. The church is the bride of Christ. Rachel died in Bethlehem while giving birth to Benjamin. Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, would die while giving birth to the church. Through Rachel, birth and death are linked to Bethlehem. This was a preview of what was going to happen 1,700 years later. 1,400 years later. Secondly, Ruth was redeemed there. Now, who is Ruth? Ruth 4, 10-11. This is Boaz speaking. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Now, Naomi was from Bethlehem. Then she moved with Moab with her family. When her husband and both of her sons died, including Malon, Ruth's husband, Naomi and Ruth moved to Bethlehem. There, through Naomi's wisdom, Ruth met Boaz. Ruth and Boaz couldn't marry immediately because Boaz wasn't the nearest of kin to Malon. But when near, the near kinsman wouldn't purchase her as property and marry her, Boaz was given permission to redeem Ruth and purchase the family property. So Boaz redeemed his bride in Bethlehem, a Gentile. Jesus, born in a manger in Bethlehem, also came to redeem his church, his bride, the church. First Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Ruth was redeemed there. But why is Ruth and why are Naomi even in the Bible? Because the great grandson of Ruth and Boaz is King David, Mm -hmm. the man after God's own heart, from whose lineage would come the Messiah. So we have Rachel, the favored wife of Israel. We have Ruth, the Gentile who came to become King David's great grandmother. Redemption is linked to Bethlehem. A preview of the main event coming 1,100 years later. The first event was 1,400 years. This event is 1,100 years later. 
Redemption is linked to Bethlehem. David, the shepherd boy, was anointed as king in Bethlehem. David was the great, 28 times great, grandfather of Jesus. Great, 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 28 times grandfather of Jesus. David was born in Bethlehem. Then Samuel anointed David as king of Israel. There. Jesus came in the world as a king. The wise men said, where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Even Pilate recognized Jesus as king in John 18.37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. When Pilate heard this from Jesus, he did what Rome does. He crowned him with a wreath of thorns, not of gold. He mocked him by clothing him with scarlet robes and a frail reed instead of a scepter. And then this man who had performed many miracles, feeding the poor, healing the sick, raising the dead, they spat on him, they whipped him, they beat him, and they crucified him. What king has ever treated this way? Jesus was born in Bethlehem to be the only true king who would reveal the truth and bear witness to the truth and rule in the hearts of mankind and bring salvation to our souls. Revelation 1, 5-6 says this, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. Jesus Christ rules the kings on earth. To him who loves and has to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. David was anointed as king of the Jews in Bethlehem. The anointing of a king is associated with Bethlehem. Just a preview of what would happen a thousand years later in Bethlehem. Not only was David anointed as king there, he was refreshed there. 2 Samuel 23, 14 through 15. The garrison of the Philistines was then at Bethlehem. And David said longingly, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem that is by the gate. David sought for the water from Bethlehem that would refresh him. The Philistines had taken over Bethlehem at this point, and David was in a nearby cave. He wanted some of the refreshing water from this well. A thousand years later, the living water of life would come forth as a babe in a manger from the same town of Bethlehem. John 4, 13 says, Jesus spoke to the woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will be in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Refreshment, renewal is associated with Bethlehem. This is just a preview of what was going to take place a thousand years later. So we come to this point. All of these stories are true events. 
But the prophecy was a promise fulfilled. But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Now, the second part of this verse is translated a couple different ways. The New American Standard says, from, from you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The Christian Standard Bible says, one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. The New King James says, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. The New Living Translation. Yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. This is where the academic really digs into relationship. Because there's two pictures seen in this verse. He was from everlasting, yet born in Bethlehem in the future. Who would prophesy something like this? <laughs> 700 years before it takes place. And write it down and record it so we could read it some 2,700 years later. 2,700 years ago, Micah prophesied this. As Gabriel, the angel, told Mary... With God, all things are possible. First John, I mean John 1, verse 1 and 14 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, Full of grace and truth. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, was eternal. He was from everlasting, from ancient of days, from antiquity, from the distance past, from of old. Yet he is also everlasting. And he was born, he became flesh in Bethlehem. Remember this Bethlehem. means house of bread. House of bread. So when Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is hearkening back not only to one of the I am statements of Christ linking him with God the Father, but also from his birthplace. Where would you expect the bread of life to come from? but from the house of bread. That is God's provision for us. God chose Bethlehem out of all of the towns of the earth. And through some 17, 1500 years of history, gave signs and associations and return to this place through Rachel and through Ruth and through David and the Micah's prophecy 
He set the stage for the main event for the birth of Jesus. Quirinius and Augustus Caesar had no clue that their decrees and their commands God was using to fulfill a prophecy given 700 years prior. Now, sometimes we worry that we don't, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We, 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 we lack confidence in the situation or we, we, have cons- we call them concerns. I have concerns. I'm sure you've got concerns. Sometimes the concerns creep over into worry or they creep over into doubt or they creep over into anxious thoughts and moments. And then in confusion and then into despair. But knowing what you've heard this morning about God's promise and the the degree of, of antiquity involved here. What do you think about God's promises? Are they reliable? Can you Can you trust his promises? Can you cling to them in the face of every other trial and uncertainty? I think this is one of the things that Christmas adds to to the story of our lives. It is a baby born in, in in a stall, in a little manger. But it is the fulfillment of thousands of years of of prophecy. It is promises God made and acted out in history fulfilled in that moment. Using whatever powers there were to bring it about. Why all this history? Through Rachel, birth and death are associated with Bethlehem. Through Ruth, redemption is linked to Bethlehem. Through David, the anointing of a king and the refreshing water of life was linked to Bethlehem. And through Micah, the Messiah comes out of Bethlehem. Why all this history? God has planned everything. He is the door. What comes into our lives, he allows. What doesn't come into our lives, he does, He prevents. God has planned it all. That doesn't mean that we don't have choices to make. We do have choices to make. And he's given us his word that we might make choices that would be pleasing to him. And we have this faith. Sometimes we think it's faith like concrete. It's solid rock we can stand on. And sometimes our faith seems like quicksand. <laughs> You know, it gets us into trouble more than it helps us. I wonder what Micah thought. I wonder what Isaiah thought when he prophesied that a virgin would conceive. I've heard modern day people say, well, they didn't know how babies were made back then. And you think... You know, I don't think that was the case. (laughs) I think they knew exactly where babies came from. Do you do you feel the the emotion of this? 
Do you feel the, the relationship with God and his great love for you? That not only would he do these things, but he would let it be known. Not the day before. Not the week before, not the month before, not the year before, but hundreds, millennia of years earlier. He would let it be known. This was his plan. God planned everything, 1,700 years of family and national history, plus the 2,000 years that have transpired since then, so that we today could gather here this morning and celebrate the birth of his son. And that we could be in amazement of his works. We here respond to laws and commands and edicts all the time from our government. What are they thinking now? You know, why are we doing this? We hear from other countries, you know, from Peru and from China and, and other places. Honduras and France and Russia and wherever else we're all from. We hear what these nations are doing and say, God, why? Through them all, God accomplishes his secret will. God even uses the laws of wicked men to advance his plan. Isaiah tells us the government will be upon his shoulders. His purposes will not fail. So this Christmas, receive him. Receive him again. Trust him. Trust him more. Put your future in his hands. And love him. He knows everything there is to know about you. He knows all your concerns. He knows all your worries. He knows all your doubts. And I ask you to look to the faith of Mary... When Gabriel had said to her, with God, all things are possible. What prompted that response from Gabriel is Mary said. You know, he had told her she was going to conceive. and She said, well, I'm a virgin. She said, how can this be? Gabriel said, with God, all things are possible. It wasn't a priest that told her that. It wasn't a prophet who told her that. It was an angel of God. Gabriel. It was Gabriel the angel who stood there in the presence of this teenage girl and told her, with God all things are possible. I'm no angel of God. But I want to use Mary's I want to use Gabriel's words. With God all things are possible. And what did Mary say in response to this? Let it be done to me according to your word. Isn't that the life we want? To live life according to the word of God? Isn't that the life you want? To live life according to the word of God? We look to the prophecies about Bethlehem and the coming of a king. I mean, why, why would God... Prophesy something that would happen and then fulfill it. Why would, what's his plan about that? To build our faith. To encourage us. To show us this is how God works. 
He lets things know, be known about the future from the distant past. So we can say, oh yes, God told me that that would be happening. Let's pray together. And you just take a moment and you think about the words of the message today. Bethlehem was a place of birth and death, the place of redemption. The plan of God was to redeem. And he gave us examples of redemption in this place where Jesus was born. It was a place of anointing. This Bethlehem where Jesus was born was a place where this, the man after God's own heart King David, from whom would come the Messiah, was anointed as king. Jesus came as king. And the refreshing water. Jesus said, I'm the, whoever comes to me will never thirst. And the bread of life. I am the bread of life from the house of bread. Father, help us to trust you and your word forever. Help us, Lord, to cling to your promises. And Lord, when I say cling to your promises, I mean to help us to live in a way that's pleasing to you no matter what's happening around us. Lord, if you ask us to love other people, even though who mistreat us or betray us, then somehow, Lord, we ask you to help us to love them. And Lord, when we are confused about things or we don't know about our future, let us trust that you've got it. We can live according to your ways, Lord. We can be faithful to your word, just like you have been faithful to your word. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to fulfill your promises in our life. The promises or this new covenant that you've made with us. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us, Lord, from all unrighteousness and let us pursue you. And Lord, I pray this Christmas, whenever we hear this word, O little town of Bethlehem, we would think of Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrathah. Founded by the son of Caleb, one of the faithful spies. The place where Jacob laid Rachel to rest after she died giving birth to Benjamin. The place where Ruth was was grafted into the lineage of King David and became one of his ancestors. Lord, this Moabite woman gave birth to Jesse, who was the husband and the father of David. Lord, you have you have orchestrated these things through time tomorrow in the past. And Lord, we trust you to orchestrate our futures. We rest in this. And thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season. Thank you, Lord, for your promises that always come true. That are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen.